1: Hey everyone, it's Brian with Wildcat Radio, and we cut a podcast for 12-pack radio that covered the Pac-12 defensive lines and spent a significant amount of time on Arizona at the end. Uh, Spoiler alert there at the bottom. But I actually do think there's some really interesting pieces. And with the new coaching change, which we addressed, um, should be a higher level of production. So actually, we're a little bit more bullish on Arizona than I think a lot of the national Pac-12 folks are. So in any case, I thought you'd appreciate this uh, episode because we do cover a lot of Pac-12 stuff and Arizona specifically. And hope you enjoy it. Oh, South
2: Tech Game.
0: Yes, it is. For 12 Pack Radio, get excited, y'all.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to 12 Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac 12 football news, the home of the Beta Rank College football statistical model, and your source for Pac 12 gambling news with William Hills Maxmeyer. This is Brian Conger. Thank you for joining us. The season may be delayed, but we are still here. We're breaking down your team's best units. We're going to go through the Pac-12 defensive lines this week. And, um, and a lot of news, obviously, to cover with the changes in uh, with that COVID have made and um, a number of news items that have been dropped by the news ferry. If you haven't followed us before, please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn Radio. You name it, we are there. You can follow us on Twitter at 12 Pack Radio, 12PAC Radio. And, um, and check out our website, sharpcollegefootball.com. Where you can get all of Rob's numbers. They're just all over the place. You might not have non conference games, but he has the numbers for him, Rob, how are you?
2: <laughs> I mean, I'm doing well considering that, like, our uh, without non conference games, our ability to compare teams across conferences kind of goes away.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's such a bummer because that was like, so in right like week six, uh, and for people that are listening, we have a, a, a number of new listeners so thank you for joining us. Our numbers have popped. We certainly appreciate that, especially with the guests that we've had on. We're going to have more guests. We're going to continue to cover the Pac-12, not just from a football perspective, but um, you know, m- maybe increasingly from a basketball perspective. I don't know. like we'll, we'll find out, but Max is really, really good at that. like I follow college basketball a ton, um, and Rob is always a numbers guy. Um, but uh, so beta rank uh rob your advanced statistical model week six is like the week because it's bounced every team's non-conference games off of each other and then you got a little bit of conference play in it right like so those non-conference games like how critical are they to your model
2: well they're the only way we have to compare teams across conferences because the majority of your any team season is in conference play right so you get a very good idea of like uh what you call like an ordinal rank like you can rank teams uh, within a conference, pretty well, and have a, a, a very good idea of how good teams are. What you run into trouble with, though, is that you get into Uh, you rely on those non-conference games to create the connections that allow you to sort of like, say like this sec team is, you know, actually grades against this, you know, pac 12 team Uh, without non-conference. You just have a bunch of teams only playing each other uh, with no reference points to be able to potentially grade them against other, (laughs) any other teams in football. So in this case, like the, you know, there's an entire, uh, if you're a math nerd, uh, you can go to our YouTube channel at Sharp College Football. I did 30, almost 40 minutes on um, potential solutions to this uh, that you could bake into your analytics or modeling uh, to try to fix this. Uh, but the basic answer is, is like what you said, like week six, when, um, you know, I jo- like what we jokingly call beta rank day, when we take out the uh, preseason data. Um, and it's just in-season data only in the model from that point forward. Uh, that's not going to happen this year. Like, and it is going to like if you don't have non-conference games, like we're going to have to have some preseason weight all the way through.
1: Yeah, Rob's riding bareback this uh, this year, so it'd be fun to see how that turns out. And uh, we are joined by Mr. Max Meyer from William Hill, Max. Uh, more sports are going on. You work for the largest sports book in the world, and uh, so I'm glad to see that. How are things on your end uh, in terms of projecting out uh, college football and, and just sports in general?
0: Well, it's interesting because we were one of the few sports books that didn't actually release college football win totals yet, just because um, our traders assumed that this was always a possibility. And then having to refund everyone, it, it just it, it would have been a, a big mess. So, Uh, I mean, our our traders are, are working on updated win totals and then those will be released once we have a better idea of what each team's schedules are going to be just because there's always the possibility that conferences add more games to the conference schedule.
1: Yeah, and we have to talk about this. Look, we at length have on this podcast, particularly if you've been listening to us throughout the entire offseason, we continue to record weekly. You know, we, we've like kept our finger on the pulse, but we're not going to do 60 minutes on COVID plans because like best laid plans, right? And then, oh crap, I guess we're not like playing the first three games and we might not play the whole season at all. But I think one of the things Rob to keep in mind is like what, okay, so if we do this season and and if we're only doing conference games, what does that look like? What's the impact? And we had been kind of throwing out some ideas back and forth before we started recording. Um, it, it seems like the Big Ten, Rob, has moved to really putting an emphasis on division uh, rivalries and just trying to get those the most important games for, for particular teams in their divisions to get played. Do you know, do you think like, uh, have you heard anything about the Pac-12 considering that? Uh, it seems to be, that would make the most sense to me.
2: Yeah, there's a so the big, the big Ten is basically in one of the in a release or it was an interview one of the two. I read so many articles on what the Big Ten was doing in the last week. Um, it's uh, I live in Columbus, Ohio. It's inevitable. <laughs> so the uh, um, the Big Ten is likely to shift around their schedules so that uh, even though they are they're eliminating the non-conference games, that they're going to shift around their conference schedules to play the divisional games first. Um, so that, uh, they can at least, I mean, and this, this should give you an idea of how optimistic even big 10 administrators are that they would even get through a full nine games, um, that they would get through, they could at least get through most of the division, if not all of the division games um in case of a cancellation of the season uh midway through uh and they could at least be able to you know declare division champions uh, in that case as well as getting like uh, you know a lot of the team's big rivals you know the teams that you definitely play every year in uh, i would expect the pac 12 to make a similar change uh to that uh as they can because you're you are going to have some, like i now this does I don't necessarily think this means a whole scale shifting around of the schedule. Like there are, uh, you know, there are some, there are going to be some games that are going to remain in place and they will just move around because you're going to have some games that exist in the division that are going to get, that are already in that early part of the season. Um, but yeah, I would expect, I would expect some of the, some of the games to definitely get shifted around, but there are schedules like, you know, USC schedule, um, you know, they have a lot of their, you know, games against uh, some of their North opponents later, uh, you know, rather than earlier. So it'll, uh, I I do expect that the Pac-12, I also might expect them, and I want to hear what you guys think about this. I mean, should the, would the Pac-12 add a 10th game to the schedule so that each team would have five home games? Not that they're going to make a ton of revenue because you're going to have limited attendance, you know, at best, but, Uh, I I wouldn't be surprised to see the Pac-12 and and potentially get more TV revenue out of it, add add a 10th game to the schedule in conference.
1: Yeah, I don't want to wax poetic on this. I I am and have remained in the camp of they're going to do this in spring and they're just going to figure it out. And if players need to go to the NFL, then they need to go to the NFL. But the TV rights are so important to um, every every program's you know, athletic budget that, like, I'm still in that camp. I don't think we have fall football. I've always assumed that we really <laughs> weren't going to have fall football. Um, but I think that we're going to have college football is why we continue to do these. But, uh, Max, what do you think?
0: No, I I, th- I think 10 games make sense. Um, and just with whether it's spring or, or, or if uh, it's pulled off in the fall, I think that Pac-12 has that flexibility. And I think, yeah, to give every team a fair shot, five and five, but also, I think it's also going to be whether the other conferences can uh, play as many games just because SEC and ACC, uh, their conference schedules are eight games apiece. And so the Pac-12 isn't, at least that's how I would imagine it, but we've never really had something like a precedent for this before. So maybe the Pac-12 might be like two extra games compared to the ACC or SEC. But I would think that at least with the Power Five, that they'd be on a similar playing field in terms of number of games
1: yeah that's a good call. we should go opposite to be like screw you SEC we're doing six conference games <laughs> now now you gotta grind out eight um uh, you know I, w- look we'll figure out what what happens like the, and again, we're not gonna spend a tremendous amount of time. the one thing I think that is important obviously Larry Scott got the vid um so he has covid and like you know we we have said a lot about Larry Scott obviously we hope that he gets better. Um, it is clearly a series. Everybody knows about that. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, that's just kind of a storyline that happens as we're rescheduling all these things. Um, when your own conference commissioner gets the virus that you're now putting students at risk to to get. Uh, man, it just it is what it is. Um, but again, like we do sports kind of as an escape. And so I'm really excited to just keep talking about college football. And there's some really good units here. Um, Rob, I, I guess we should transition to a little bit more non-conference or off-the-season news or off-the-field news. Um, Morgan Scally at Utah was retained as the defensive coordinator at Utah after a um, after a full-scale review of a number of team, a number of players and teams and coaches. Um, I read that review. I um, in the I think we recorded our last episode on Scali probably three weeks ago. I just assumed that they were probably going to keep him unless there was something really egregious. The report was a little bit more concerning than I had anticipated. Um, at the same time, look, like if there were issues, this is one way to solve them. And that's, uh, I, it came with punishments. It came with, um, you know, taking away his coach and waiting tag. It cost him uh, his part of his salary. Um, and at least for me, if they decide to make those decisions great let's let's hope that there's real change with Scalley in the program and um and Utah moves forward but they at the same time from an X's and O's standpoint they move forward with a defensive coordinator that is really going to make that team strong what what do you think
2: yeah i mean i i was a, i was a little disappointed in the report um <laughs> it's,
1: it was it's like, like two like pages most, like yeah to be funny, it was like i two,
2: mean the most, but the most serious allegations um were I I felt were not the use of the slur. It was the substantial allegations by several players that he had treated players of a different color differently. Uh, And the report was basically like, yeah, he denied that. (laughs) And I just, I kind of thought, well, yeah, sure. I'm sure he did. Uh, What else did you find in your extensive investigation into this? Um, But they decided to keep him, um, you know, the, you know, the significant decrease in salary, which he just got the, you know, the bump last year uh, in salary when they brought in Andy Ludwig and brought and bumped his salary up uh, to get him. I think, uh, I, I think for Utah, it's, you know, it's a it's a short term win, certainly having him come back. I, I'm interested to see if there are longer term consequences on the recruiting trail, um, because this this kind of stuff is absolutely going to come up in negative recruiting uh, against the Utes. Uh, so, yeah, like they're they're going to have to 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 try to limit that and, and uh, you know, like he'll. He'll he'll have to, to answer a lot of questions in a lot of living rooms about this.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting. Utah continues to do fairly well on the recruiting trail. They always do. Um, they get a lot of those JUCO players and high high level three star players, and increasingly they've gotten a lot of those four star kids. So it'll be interesting to see if that continues. Um, it it looks like in the last couple of years that Utah's recruiting has made a leap from what they have traditionally done and they've gone up a level and and I mean, they have to kind of to, to be able to compete with Oregon and USC and Washington. USC obviously has started to up their recruiting game. You know, that, that money flow <laughs> got loosened a little bit more so now you're seeing some better Southern California players stay at home rather than go to Oregon and Washington. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Um, Max, when we recorded the last time you had highlighted that um, you thought that there should be some punishment and some consequences to um, the allegations that happened at Utah and those happened? Is that, um, you know, what what do you think about Utah going forward with Scali?
0: Well, I have to – I just feel like if Utah went this far, then why not go all the way? I just feel like cutting a a coach's salary by that much and then stripping him of his title, like, I I don't know. I guess also – a little disappointed that, like, Utah was using um, Scali's past um, troubling behavior for its own athletic department gain by stripping his salary and, and and not being able to spend as much. So, I mean, they're definitely, like, they're, they're definitely consequences. But I just think, like, what, what Rob was saying, I, I think that this decision is ultimately going to hurt Utah.
1: It was it was interesting. I think two things to to mention before we move on for this. The first was again, the, the student athlete who got received the text um he has come out in support of scally and it sounded like through the review and just through um a lot of people that we trust that uh cover utah football it sounded like the this was like the team certainly had a say in this and that was one of the things i was really hoping would happen um obviously the at the end of the day like the final decision it comes to Whittingham and and we've talked about power dynamics and all that um but it did sound at whole like at the whole that like the team was in support of making this decision and like i'm always uh like a believer in like in change and hoping that things change and putting people in a position to get better and um, we'll see uh, like I I think that the eye is certainly on uh, scaling that program um, moving forward and we'll kind of see where it ends up but uh, again at the end of the day they do they do have a really good defensive coordinator still and that was one of the questions that we had was making the change so late how would that impact Utah and, and their recruiting and all that stuff and um, they don't they're not going to go down that path this year. Well, let, okay. Let's get in. Let's get into the real stuff here, and that is ranking the Pac-12 defensive lines. And we're gonna stick with the Pac-12 South, which is. You know, I was looking at the the teams, and some of those teams are really solid. Like, I, let, me, let me let me pump the brakes. Some of the teams are better than I expected. I think that's the better way to put it. Um, in the Pac-12 South, I actually think that there's some pri- some surprising units. Uh, maybe not in terms of depth, depth, but in terms of the starting unit that is going to be placed on the field, and we're going to go through all those. Clearly, we're you know like the biggest units are going to be uh, in the north, and that's Oregon and Washington, and we'll talk about those next week. Uh, but in terms of the south, there's really there, there are some teams here that I think are kind of the bottom feeders in the Pac-12 that actually have some solid talent, and then obviously you have USC, which is a total wild card here. Um, let's go with Umax first, like. Wh- where, where do you want to go? We can go in a lot of directions here. We can go. Uh, we can start with a number of teams Who do you want to talk about first in regards to talent and depth and and really what they're going to be able to bring? Uh, if the season happens,
0: so are we ranking them or is this just a general discussion?
1: Um, yeah, let's rank them But we can kind of start wherever you want
0: All right Well, I guess number one for me is clearly USC for Pac-12 South I mean just between Drake Jackson and J2 Bailey alone I feel like those are two of the top three defensive linemen in the south
1: Rob, um, obviously, I mean, like, that was my number one also. And it was interesting because they actually were pretty solid in terms of getting in the backfield, right? So they had 81 tackles for a loss. That was third in the Pac-12, 45th nationally. They had 35 sacks, which is third in the Pac-12, 45th nationally. But holy goodness, like, and it wasn't a dirty secret. It was out in the open and everybody's waving their flags. Like, you can run on this USC team. I think there was some, like, the, the talent is there. And they have Todd Orlando coming in, who could really, in theory, shuffle up things and hopefully make that defense better. But man, like for all the talent that was on the field, it was—if you're a USC fan—I think you were kind of tearing your hair out sometimes with having those players on the field and not getting the production that you wanted.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. Though. I think USC clearly has the best defensive line in the Pac-12 South coming back this year with uh, with the Utes losing so much, but it's hard to want to grade this defensive line too high because they graded out at 71 an effective Russian beta rank season. I mean, you, you're right. You could run on these guys. Um, and that, that's just, I mean, yeah, they, 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 they were decent against the past. And I think to for a, a defensive tackle, I think in particular was, was pretty effect, more effective against the pass than he was against the run. Um, and he, he did play some of the season injured. Um, and Drake Jackson was only a you know freshman last season. So I think that there's, there's absolutely headroom for these guys, I, my questions, I guess, are with Orlando is, and we've talked about this a little bit is, uh, is, is scheme. I mean, them going into a, you know, a a three man front, you know, having to, and are they, they're already not that great against the run. Are they going to be able to, you know, can anyone play two gap against the run uh, to free up the linebackers to come downhill? I'm not sure. Um, So I, I I mean, given where the rest of the lines are, because it's, uh, there is a, there's a, there's a, like, USC is a middle of the road defensive line, and then there's a fall off, and then there's like a really steep fall off. Like, yeah, USC's on
0: top. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with
1: business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment.
2: And that is a harsh lesson in business.
0: Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It
1: opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal.
0: Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify.
1: Yeah, it's it setting expectations in the South. And again, if we were doing the North, USC would be a level below. But I, I do think highlighting the talent here, like J.J. Fale is a, a lot of buzz around him being a first round draft pick. Um, obviously you have Drake Jackson, who's likely going to be that hybrid offense, you know, outside linebacker. And he was just a monster last year, you know, 46 tackles, 11 and a half tackles for a loss, three pass breakups, forced fumble as a true freshman. There is talent behind them, too, um, in regards to and like all over the board. Right. I think you have a number of players that came in with a significant pedigree that got injured last year. So the depth, I I think that's the other thing that separates USC from the rest of the Pac-12. It's the depth. You have really strong players, um, but also if one of them gets hurt, the drop off between them and say like an ASU or a Colorado um, or a UCLA is is not nearly as far And so I think that's really important. But like you mentioned, and Max, I'm curious, you went to USC, you've covered USC football. Um, You know, bringing in Todd Orlando, do you think, like, how bullish are you on USC with just that tremendous amount of talent there, like with their hands in the dirt? How are they going to be able to get to their potential? And do you think this is going to be a better um, defense on the defensive line uh, with Orlando rather than Clancy Pendergast?
0: I just think that USC as a whole—it's it, just discipline, whether it's it's penalties or I, I guess even in like misdirections. Like it was always it was always wild to see like USC defenders out of place whenever teams would run misdirection, especially against Iowa uh, in the bowl game. But yeah, I I just, I just think it, a lot of it's fundamentals, and because I mean USC has the talent, but maybe with a better uh, defensive coordinator coaching them up that it would lead to better results.
1: Yeah. I mean, like if you take a look after Caleb Tremblay and Jay Tufele and Marlon Tupelo too, you still have Brandon Peely, right? Like really good. Uh, You have Jay Lichtenstein, really good. Came in with a lot of uh, uh, accolades. Um, I I just think like one of the, one of the issues in the PAC 12 is a lack of getting uh, the big guys up front in the middle. And USC has that on paper (laughs) and it's just whether or not they're going to be able to put it together. Um, But yeah, I'm totally with you. I think that this is by far the best unit in the Pactual South, um, but that is by far, um, there's a significant drop off from the North to the South when it comes to the guys in the trenches. Um, Rob, anything else on USC and who would you have as number two? Uh,
2: No, no. I mean, I, I I, I agree. I mean, I think that USC's got, they certainly have the opportunity to make a real jump. Um, I'm interested to see how Jackson is utilized. I mean, can you know, are they going to be able to to use him as an end uh, as effectively as they were um, in a three-man front versus a four? Um, but yeah, and so then my my second, I actually I had to think really hard about this, and I only think <laughs> I, I only say I had to think really hard about this because I actually I have a tremendous amount of respect for the Utah Utes and how they're set up, even from a coaching staff standpoint on the defensive line I think they make some very smart choices there but I actually think it's Arizona State uh, for me because I like some of their young guys uh, like Jermaine Lowell Um, and they were speaking like they were really good against the run they were 31 and effective rush last season and this defense projects to take another step forward this next season uh, with everything they have coming back. Batering's got them at 25 coming into the year. So I I like this ASU defensive line.
1: Yeah, I I think the key there, and uh, ASU has done a really good job recruiting the ends Uh, and, and like at a high, high level, like significantly better than anybody than USC in the South. So it's interesting to see if those guys are able to come in and just take care of business. I think the biggest question is at tackle, right? You have, like you mentioned, Jermaine Lowell, uh, DJ Davidson returns he's a redshirt junior and um, and they actually have Shannon Foreman backing them up but it's interesting so you have like somebody like Amari Johnson who was somebody that was intriguing on my end he's at he's added 40 pounds which is pretty crazy um, Stefan Wright had a shoulder injury last season so he'll be able to come in and provide some some depth on that front but um, they they finished sixth in the Pac-12 in terms of uh, getting into the backfield. They had 74 tackles for a loss. They were eighth in the Pac-12 with 26 sacks, which was 70th nationally. So th- they weren't as good against the pass. But I was um, I was actually kind of impressed with their their rush defense. Rob, uh, Max, would you put ASU second? There's definitely a lot of intriguing pieces here.
0: Yeah, no ASU has the talent um, at least to be second. My my question with them is will how will the transition be going from a three, three, five to a four, three. And, yeah. and I, I mean, I, I like, I like Jermaine will a lot. He's, he's definitely one of the better defensive linemen, but for me, and I can't even believe I'm saying this. I, I like Colorado. I, I think Mustafa Johnson and Terrence Lane, uh, Lang is, is the one of the better duos. And I'm, I, I mean, I'm, I'm really down on Colorado as a whole. And I know that their defense was was uh, had some train wreckish moments last season, but I I feel the defensive line is the strength of the team.
1: Yeah, and thanks for correcting me on Lole. I think it's called Lowell. <laughs> My bad. Uh, you know, it's funny when we do all these names, particularly on the defensive and offensive lines. <laughs> it's really hard to keep track of everybody's name. Um, and and he was a really productive player last year. So my apologies to our ASU fans. And I know there's a lot of them there. So, uh, please forgive me there. You know, you mentioned Colorado and that was one that popped up in my mind. I was like, Oh, okay. I can see that this is a a pretty solid unit. So you have uh, Jalen Sammy, who is a 320 pound defensive tackle. I always try to look in the middle to see what they got there. Um, Hiflade really likes him, which is which is interesting. He's watching more film on Colorado than I have for for sure. Uh, but like you mentioned, Mustafa Johnson had uh, 28 tackles, four and a half for a loss, three quarterback hurries, but he was injured last year, so he comes back fully healthy. I think Terrence Lang was pretty productive, about six and a half tackles for a loss, four quarterback hurries. Um, the one thing that I would actually, I'm I'm curious what you think, Rob. I actually had UCLA. Um, I, and I don't know what to do with Utah, so we can talk about Utah here in a second. Um, I had UCLA higher just because their production was was better. I kind of trust UCLA a little bit more. I thought that their rush defense was uh, hurt by their <laughs> their pass defense. I just think that like people realize very quickly that you can throw on uh, UCLA, and then they kind of had to adjust and stuff. But I guess that was the same case for Colorado. Um, would you put UCLA in the same boat as Colorado? What, what do you think about those two matchups?
2: I mean, I think in some sense, I mean, they, they also, I mean, UCLA did not have uh, Davian Taylor running around cleaning everything up (laughs) behind the, uh, you know, behind the, you know, their line. Like, and I saw UCLA's line in person in Cincinnati. Um, They were, they, they, neither of the, like, in, in some ways you could argue that they are, you know, mirror images because they, they simply don't get great pass rush from either you know, unit, but, uh, you know, UCLA is fantastic in controlling A and B gap runs. I mean, they were – you just simply could not run very well up the middle against that UCLA squad. And both those guys are back. Yeah. Um. I got – you know, so I, I like uh, – I, and I think it is worth – it. like I, I, I think in either of those cases, like the, the strength of those defenses really are on the line um and and you know colorado's you know 42 in effective rush that's solid um but they really like you also have to grade them out too that like they didn't they didn't generate a ton of pass rush um and they didn't help out you know their you know their young secondary very much (laughs) at all uh there so there's there's there are some there are some negatives and knocks there i would i i say this like because i I really do think that Utah has less proven production coming back. I think that we will, at the end of the year, grade out the Utes higher than Colorado and UCLA, and perhaps Arizona State. Um, you know, Utah generally has has some guys that they have seasoned. They have been rotating some guys out in and out behind uh, Anae and Fotu, um, and they Utah, unlike a lot of teams that uh, when they got the additional coach, who had, they added a special teams coach, uh, Utah. Has two defensive line coaches, um, so they they tend to they tend to be pretty well coached. I I think the Utes, even though we, we're not going to talk a ton about like the you know oh yeah we're sure about this guy, I think that they're they're going to be you know they'll be consistent again. They may not be as good as they were last year, but uh, you know I, I think they have a shot to be better than uh, you know Colorado and, and UCLA certainly are.
1: Let's let's talk about Utah in one second here, Max, because I'm curious where you had UCLA because they basically returned their entire unit. Um, I mean, one of, the, one of the guys that everybody's looking out for is Asa uh, Odigazua, who had 10 tackles for a loss, Like you know, he but he was at the edge. But I thought the strength was actually in the middle. I, I really thought the tackles for UCLA were um, pretty strong from a run de, uh, defense perspective. But again, they weren't able, as Rob was saying, uh, to make a ginormous impact in the backfield and really put pressure on the quarterback. And, and really, UCLA paid the price for that. Where did you have UCLA ranked?
0: I, for me, it's just it's really close between the middle four school. Well, I I, I, yeah, I guess the middle of Utah, UCLA, Colorado, Arizona State. Like like, like you honest like and you could probably convince me or like him Day could probably convince me uh, moving any of those schools around uh, two through five. I feel like though that there was a clear one and a clear six.
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, let's, <laughs> and I know what this thing is, um, but let, let's talk about Utah here because man, they, they lose a lot. And I get it. If Utah fans, I look, I'm with you. Like I totally trust your coaching staff. I, I'm actually lower on Utah than I think Rob you and Max are um, in Now this was, if the season was real and like, you know, we were playing all of our games and stuff. I thought it was going to take Utah a while to catch up. Um, but with that said, like they lose Leaky uh, they they lose John Pensini, they lose Bradley and I, um, Francis Bernard even is 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 gone from the linebacking core. But um, like you said, Rob, they they actually bring backs and they were able to rotate in a number of players to be able to fill some holes. And I, there is there is talent here. It's not like they're <laughs> it's not like the entire unit was washed out and there's nothing going to re- be returning. There's going to be some people that just weren't able to play behind uh, NFL players.
2: Yeah, I mean, Mika Tafua had 8.5 tackles for a loss last season, right? Like, um, some of that's in garbage time when the youths are blowing people out, but he appeared in 14 games. Uh, you know, Max Tupai, I mean, he appeared in 13 games last season, and he had 3.5 tackles for a loss. So, there's some guys that when you – I think that they've, they've definitely rotated behind – um and like i mean a couple of years ago when Anai was you know an unknown and you know and you were sort of hearing about him coming out of training camp um and a lot of utah you know when we talked to the utah man podcast they, they mentioned his name like all right keep an eye out for this guy i think that you know like some of these guys had we had a training camp we would be hearing those those kinds of rumblings again because i do think that the utes unlike a lot of Pac-12 other Pac-12 teams are built from, you know, are built from the defensive line. I mean, it's almost, I mean, it is the bedrock of the team in a way. I mean, beyond the safety, you know, the, the you, know, you could argue that in the safety play and the special teams. Um I, I I do I do think that the youths are going to be good, I, and I think that you know th- th- some of these guys like Tufua, they are going to you're, they're going to struggle to maybe get the same exact numbers that they had before um, without having an eye and Fotu and uh, Pansini you know, around. But I I I, I like I, I guess I just I like the youths. and I actually I, I do have faith for them here in particular. Uh, you know, like i I'm, I'm a little less. I'm a little less solid on their – like, I like Andy Ludwig, so I think the offense would be fine. But there are other parts of the team I have bigger questions about.
1: My big question was who's going to, fit like, fill that middle, right? You have, like, Peter yeah. Tonga and, like, a number, number of players there. Um, and, I, and I just – that's one area where I just kind of trust – I just trust the coaching staff i I just think that they're gonna be able to um have already identified the talent and build them up. and like you mentioned, being able to have the coaching staff there um and a larger coaching staff on that line than I think most you know teams have I don't know, Max, like like Utah, I kind of could go back and forth, but at, at the same time, like they these these other teams have the cohesiveness and the experience playing together. Um, I just, I don't quite know where Utah is going to fall, but I would put them like second or third, I guess, and maybe third, just because I want to see it on the field and like, am am 100% okay with moving them up very quickly. Once I see it, what do you think?
0: Yeah. I mean, and, and Utah, like, it, it seems like every single year, but they are one of the best, uh, coaching staffs in terms of developing talent. And, and they've been a defensive line factory, like turning, Three-star recruits into NFL draft, um, so no, I, I definitely think that Utah's earned the benefit of the doubt, and in a div- in a division where there aren't many, uh, I guess just one like top top-tier defensive line, like yeah, you, you with Utah's reputation and their coaching staff, they can easily uh, see their way uh, at least to the two spot, maybe even the one spot <laughs> if. If um, Whittingham and Co. Like really make some magic. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I feel like really the Utes can definitely overachieve this season.
1: One one player to keep a lookout for is a transfer from Hawaii. And I'm going to butcher his name. I'm sorry, Utah fans. I'll get there. I promise. But it's uh, Vianney uh, Moala. Uh, I, think, yeah, I think it was pretty close. Um, so he's the favorite starter at defensive tackle. He was, again, the transfer from Hawaii. Um, he played all 14 games as a backup. And I'm just curious to see. Um, how how much of an impact he's going to have on Utah because when you think of those teams, you always think of the big giant guys that plug, plug up the middle and they might not have the numbers and the tackles for loss. So if you're stat counting, um, and, and we'll get – we'll get to this in the Pac-12 North with Fat Mac at Oregon. Like, if you look at his numbers, you're like, ah, I, I don't know. But, like, if you watch the game, it's like, yeah, he's allowing everybody else to get the numbers. <laughs> That's how much of a handful he is. And uh, and when you think of, like, people like Starlo Tulele and, and uh, people like that, it Leaky Fotua, that was actually pretty special in regards of um, being productive and having the numbers because um, sometimes those Utah uh, big guys right up the middle, they're just eating up two blocks and allowing the ends and the linebackers to get to the backfield. So I'm um, really curious to see what those Green Dog blitz That you had mentioned, Rob. Which, thank you, thank you for bringing that up. I'm I'm better now because you brought it up. It's kind of fun to watch that happen with Utah. Any anything else on Utah or some other teams before we get to clearly what is the worst unit likely in the Pac-12,
2: possibly in the country? Oh no! Wow! No, no, I'm just kidding. But I mean, like, it's it's. I mean, if you're going to say like, if you're going to say the like, if you're going to have a conversation for the worst Power Five defensive line. You you've got to include Arizona.
1: I think so. Um, the the biggest issue I think is up in the middle. It's Miles Tapasoa, uh, Trevin Mason, who are uh, big bodies that were they were there. <laughs> but um, Arizona ranked 122nd nationally in tackles for a loss. They only had 17 sacks on the entire year, which is just abysmal for a Power Five team. And uh, Rob, I'm sure betarank has Arizona's rush defense pretty low as well.
2: Oh yeah, they were 89 an effective rush.
1: That's good times. Um, <laughs> I've, I've, look, if you're going to make a bull case for Arizona, and I was on the Quack Twelve podcast making said bull case, but um, but also with a little bit of a wink and nod here, I think the the one thing that you can mention is Arizona fired its defensive uh, line coach who was awful last year, um, and they bring in um, a grizzled veteran who uh, was uh, I mean he's been coaching defensive line for like 20 years. Um, he's not going to do a great job recruiting, but I do think that he has, like, he's been widely respected as somebody that, like, is a significant step up um, from what Arizona had. They bring in Aaron Blackwell, who was uh, a uh, tackle from New Mexico who tore his ACL. And I think it highlights the ceiling from Arizona when you're like, oh, they brought in a group of five tackle who like who was injured the previous year. Uh, but we're grasping at straws here. But Rob, I, I think the one strength here for the defensive line, if you can get it, would be from the ends. You have Jalen Harris, who is somebody that came in with some acclaim. J.B. Brown is somebody that um, actually could be an NFL player with his size, um, and it, it just like the, the coach and the coaching staff likes him. And I think that was the frustration and one of many reasons why the defensive line coach got fired. Maybe is because he got in a fight at a, <laughs> a, a, a possibly got in a fight on the sidelines in the middle of a game with another coach, um, but. The, uh, I do think that there's some people like Kylan Wilborn is still at Arizona. He was a freshman all American who's kind of fallen off the face of the earth. Um, man, like there, there are some pieces here, but clearly not, not nearly at the level of Colorado, which is saying something for what expectations are for Arizona.
2: I mean, this is a, I mean, this is a 10 year problem. (laughs) This is not new. I mean, Arizona, um, you know, uh, Ulele, the defensive line coach, was was in way, way over his head. He was hired directly from the JUCO ranks. Um, there were, you know, like there, it was leaked out of the program that Marcel Yates was having to take time out of coaching his position group to help Ulele coach the defensive line. I mean, just abysmal. Um, but there's, it's also worth pointing out, like Arizona's flipping. I mean, we talk about this with USC, so it's, it's only fair to talk about this with Arizona too. Arizona's moving from a four man front to a three man front again under roads. Um, do they have anyone that could, like, I don't, I mean, you look down here, are you, do you see anyone that could play two gap? I'm not sure. Maybe Blackwell can, um, that that's a concern but yeah i mean there's some guys like that i mean like harris is moving to linebacker Wilborn's going to be a linebacker um you know on the new roster uh you know they're they are going to try to generate pass rush out of the linebackers you know as you do in, in a in a three four defense but they absolutely have to have somebody that can step up and and you know stop the run and, and, you know, eat up blocks in the middle. That's where they really lacked, uh, like, you know, almost anyone, um, you know, really able to play. I, if I, I, I mean, I, I, don't know. I mean, there, the, you mentioned off of, but I mean, there, there's some guys. <laughs> there,
1: I mean, there are some guys. I
2: mean, I mean, that's, that's the trouble. When you look at the, like, there's some guys that they brought in that like the Juco's, you know, Tepesoa, um, you know, they're, you know, Mason was, Mason was probably their best one. I mean, maybe JB Brown, but JB JB Brown is he big I mean that the question with Brown is like he's probably gonna have to put on more weight to continue to play. I mean, he's gonna continue to play on the line. He's gonna have to put on more weight there to do it. Um Yeah. Oh this this line, there's just there's not a lot to I mean, there's just not a lot to hang your hat on. Um you know, with this line, they they're not really able to generate much pass rush. They're not able to eat up blocks and keep the, you know, the um, linebackers clean, you know, in the run. And they're also not able to stop the run much on their own. Um, and there's no one, you know, you know other than Jalen Harris, who's like the continual pick as a breakout candidate. Um, there's also the possibility that Harris struggles to stay on the field. Because as much as everyone talks about like, oh, yeah, they'll be in the three, four and Harris will be on the field. You will spend most of your time in at least nickel. Uh, And so it could be Anthony Pandy, Schooler and Fields on the on the on the playing field more. Um, And Harris may be getting on the field, you know, sort of uh, infrequently in rotation or he may be able to stick. It's going to be interesting to see.
1: Yeah. So. And and you can make whatever scale you want here, Max. How far down is Arizona from the uh, its nearest competitor in the pecking order?
0: Oh, in in the South, I, I think that it's no contest. But in the in terms of the entire conference, I actually I think that them and Washington State are neck and neck for worst defensive
1: line. Ooh, good company. Good company. Um, okay. Uh, anything else on the? And again, we'll we'll go to the Pac-12 North here next uh, next episode. Um, anything else here on the on the defensive lines, Rob? Any any last thoughts, words of wisdom?
2: No, there's I mean like and, uh, the South is like it's it could be it, we don't it, it's, there's just not a lot of meat on the bone on the South unfortunately coming into this next year. There's there's some guys that you like, but nobody that's like. Uh, an assured star. I think unless that USC
0: defense really puts it together under Orlando.
1: Okay, Max. Anything else? Anything else we should be covering?
0: Uh, uh, no, I, I think we got everything we need for the South. I'm really excited for the North. The North. I mean, yeah. the The North might have well, like two of the top defensive linemen, maybe like two of the top ten defensive linemen in the whole country. So I'm excited.
1: Yeah, the North is where is at. We will be for there that. next. We will be there next week, and um, looking forward to continuing our coverage of Pac-12 football. Uh, thank you for listening. Again, you can subscribe to the podcast on Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it. We are there. Uh, we will join you next week, and send any uh, any you know questions our way. You can follow us at Twelve pack Radio, One Two Pac Radio, PAC Radio. Uh, and, and uh, Max. Where can people find you?
0: Uh, my Twitter personally is uh, at the Max Meyer, Meyer and you can also follow uh, at William Hill U S. And there you can see the latest odds and trends for uh, different sporting events, Uh, whether it's this upcoming week where there's uh, UFC. We just had a monster UFC card yesterday. Uh, There's NASCAR. There's the championship for the basketball tournament, which features a lot of uh, former college basketball stars or even offseason win totals, just not college football win totals yet. But we have NFL and MLB win totals up.
1: Okay, real, real quick question, uh, because we're signing off anyway. Uh, saying- the, the Ukrainian ping pong scandal, uh, any, any any waves of reverberation throughout the William Hill, Hill International uh, Leadership Bank?
0: Oh no, no, no comment on that.
1: <laughs> okay, that's uh, that's fair enough. Um, all right, guys. Oh, and Rob, uh, what's going on at Sharp College Football? And I know there's a lot.
2: Yeah, uh, we're continuing. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to continue to soldier on, on our previews. Uh, we just did the Iowa state cyclones. Um, we're going to circle back, uh, you know, as we're probably going to have a little more time before the season starts uh, and hit some of the other power five time teams. We haven't covered yet along the way, but you have, uh, if you check out our YouTube channel or our website, you will see all of our preview videos that we have up uh, now um, that are going through all the advanced stats uh, and projections for every team. Uh, and as I get a new schedule file, um, once new schedules are released, I will upload uh, new projections and projection point spreads.
1: All right. Almost a second beta Christmas. So that'll be pretty exciting. Yeah. So keep a look out for that. Um, all right, everybody, we'll catch you next week. Uh, and I hope you stay safe and have a great uh, have a great week.